Chapter 1, Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Well, this episode, the conclusion of Susan Powell is rife with size. I would say an entire basket, a basket of size, a bucket even. A lot of frustration, but we're going to talk about it. And it's it's good. It's good to uh, discuss this and, and, you know, keep this, the problems that came from this case in our minds whenever we're looking at these other cases. Also, I just want to quick note here, uh, because we recorded this earlier in the year, I used the term CP in this, uh, but it was before I was familiar with the CSAM term. So just a heads up for that. And then, yeah, just, you know, big old trigger warning for uh, family violence, domestic abuse, child abuse, sexual abuse, childhood sexual abuse. I mean, it's got it all, really does. So yeah, just be aware of that. Nothing will be too graphic, but um, it's one of those journeys today. So yeah. So Chuck and Judy, who are still advocating for Susan's return, of course, began focusing on attaining access to Susan's sons. Not only did they obviously miss the boys, but they were very concerned about their welfare. Josh continued to be followed at this time in a multitude of ways by police detectives in ways that Josh knew about and some that he didn't. They gather item after item after item of circumstantial evidence. So much, like I said, you feel like you just like want to scream into the abyss. And there seems to be so much to question why the laws in place don't provide some sort of intermediary step like removing Josh's sons from the house at least temporarily, you know? If you are the prime suspect in your wife's disappearance, it doesn't seem that one should have unfettered access to their children. No. I'm sure this could be debated by far more learned people than me. I don't know the direct laws applied here. I'm looking at it as a novice and as like an amateur. And to me, that seems really crazy. (laughs) 
Yeah, just like let him go in the in the monster den. Yeah. There's got to be like, I don't want to say orphanage, but some like place, house they well, can it, go. They had family members who were very healthy, who could have, were begging to take the children. <sighs> and uh, the court's just like, now, because they're blood. Yeah, I think, also, I think also just because on paper, they didn't have criminal records. They were just weird. But they should have had criminal like, Steve should have had a criminal record. He was just allowed to get away with these things his whole life. Yeah. If you play pornography around children, you have a criminal record. In fact, I would say that you should be, if you play pornography around children, you should be pulled out of your house and beaten in the streets. I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. (laughs) Yeah. And so after about two months from the disappearance, the police get approved for a search warrant of Josh's vehicle and they take hold of it. Without his knowledge, they put a GPS tracker on it and they began following his every move. After four months of her being gone, they began searching the area where Josh claimed to have been camping the night Susan went missing. They had to wait for the snow to thaw uh, to make any sort of progress. So they had to kind of wait till April. Oh my God. And they also didn't have a lot of hope of finding anything. So it wasn't, they didn't think they were going to find an alive Susan out there. So there wasn't necessarily like an emergency rush to, to go to the area. They also didn't think that Josh would have done something with her where he told them he went like he wouldn't go yeah we were camping over here and then have left her body there you know so they didn't really think that they were going to find anything which they really didn't and all through this police cannot get josh to pull back his mask he's just such a broken person he just will not crack at all when being he was interviewed you know and questioned over and over and over again by the cops and they never stop and when they realize very quickly he's going to be a tough nut to crack, they begin to play that sort of cat and mouse game that cops sometimes do with him. Josh remained in Puyallup with his father, but eyes from Utah and Washington were on him at all times. Beyond the police, Jennifer and Chuck and Judy were refusing to let Susan's case be forgotten. And they're holding right. vigil. Yeah. Oh, it's they a, it's usually the family. They were they're they're all warriors on the on this end. Like they they just would not stop. They were the the best advocates for Susan. So yeah. they were Josh wants nothing more than this whole thing to stop. Absolutely. He would love for this to go away. Um, they were holding vigils, they were appearing on news shows and talk shows because in this case had kind of gripped people pretty quickly. In a normal situation, I don't even want to call a normal missing case normal, but you know what I mean. The husband and the husband's family would be joining them or at the very least supporting them from behind. But these things only seem to enrage Josh and Steve more and make them dig their heels in even deeper. Though Steve, like we said, pretty much assumed or maybe knew at this point Josh was involved with the, the disappearance. He gave no help to the police whatsoever and denied the Cox family any sense of closure because he is the worst. He's a psychopath. He's I mean, the it, worst. Yeah, it's also like um, lie detector tests. Those should not be used in a court of law because yeah. a psycho can just be like, yes, I did not kill my wife. Right. No, I did not. And he just believes it and is such a narcissist that it's just going to go boo. I think that they can't be used in court anymore. Yeah? Yeah. I think that they're more so, they can be used as evidence in some ways, but you can't go like, if they fail it, then they're guilty anymore. Yeah. Or if I they pass be, it, they're not guilty. Exactly. I mean, I know I would be nervous, even if I didn't do it. I'd be like, Amber, did you kill your husband? I'd be like, oh my God. And my heart would be beeping. And of course you would look at it and be like, Amber killed her husband. Well, they're actually, um, I have family members who run lie detectors for the FBI. Hmm. And even though you think that, what they would see would see you being nervous, but it wouldn't look the same as if somebody who did it 
was doing, oh, was thinking. I guess because they can read you. They, yeah, the way that you can read it or whatever. But you're right, like people who don't have the same level of empathy as others. We just basically know a lot more about psychology than when some of these laws were created. And I think that they need to be taken into consideration. It's, that's how I feel. So yeah, that's all through the following. So this is all through 2010. Josh, Steve, and the two boys, Charlie and Brayden, are interviewed over and over by police detectives. And in May of 2010, in what can only be known as, let's see if Natalie can have a rage stroke interview, the police actually interview Steve in his home. And they note that Steve has openly displayed pornography everywhere, including in the living room. Amongst these photos are photos of Susan in her underwear, clearly taken without her permission. Her children were living in that house. I can't believe it. Why this was not enough to remove the children immediately from the house is beyond my comprehension. I can't believe it. I mean, just anybody with a soul would just pick those kids up and walk out the house. You're not even doing the paperwork it takes for a cop. I don't even know what the words are to explain how deranged this is and how it can possibly be okay to leave the children in this environment. Not only is it porn... It is voyeurism against their own mother in her underwear, just like sitting out. Like, I feel like I go, I'm going to go insane when I read this stuff. So that's the most that came from that was just, they went, oh, maybe Steve has something to do with this. Oh, well, bye-bye. Bye. See you later. Have a fun time, kids. Um, they did. They left, I, I think, because at the time they didn't have the legal ground to do anything. But I don't know how that's, I don't know how that's legal. How is that legal? Somebody help me. Help yeah. me off of this fucking cliff because yeah. I, I'm going to lose my mind. At a certain point, like, I don't care if it's illegal. Take those kids and pick them up. Take them out of the house. I know, right? That's why I couldn't be like, you know, a cop, a cop? or something. Yeah, <laughs> so I would just I would be breaking just be the law all the constantly. time as a cop. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's many reasons why I couldn't be a cop, but that's up there. So, uh, yeah, in, uh, on top of this, a former girlfriend of Steve, which... God help the woman who was dating Steve, told investigators that May that Steve told her that the cops had missed his self-dubbed porn cabinet, which contained more photos of Susan, her teenage diaries, and her Mormon temple garment underwear he'd stolen from a pile of laundry back when she and Josh lived in his house in 2002. Red flag, red flag, red flag. The former girlfriend had told the police as early as January 2010, so right after Susan went missing, that Steve was obsessed with his daughter-in-law. So this woman did the right thing and told everything she knew about yeah. Steve. The West Valley PD contacted her more than a year later, asking the woman to explain once more what she had known about Steve. She even had a map Steve had sketched of roads around where Susan might have disappeared. The department admitted that they had lost the note she had sent. What? So she came forth right away with some pretty important what I would consider evidence. And it just they didn't do anything with it. And it was a year later that they even reached out to her again and they couldn't find the shit that they the stuff, the very important shit that she gave them. I I, it's, is everything just like, like not organized right in I, their I office? Who the fuck knows, man? I don't know. I know it's so easy to come from this side and just say, you fuck, what is wrong with you? I don't know. There could be parts that we don't understand. There could be so many elements to this, but that alone, that information alone seems like they did something very wrong. 
Yeah. Or they just didn't care. Yeah. Or just there was no, some someone didn't try or didn't there was an organization something there's like oh okay it's like moved on to something else yeah yeah so okay so throughout that year the boys dropped little hints even by accident to the detectives and other caregivers or random passers-by in the powell family that they might know something the day after she went missing four-year-old charlie told a police detective that mommy stayed where the crystals are there's a lot of this. You can, it's now accessible online. You can see the child's interviews. It's, it's pretty awful. Um, they're, it's just so sad. They're just so tiny. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're sweet looking, just the cutest little things. And they're being asked about, they're, they're trying to get information from these kids who barely have functioning brains yet. About where their dead mother is. Yeah. So, that was what they kind of got out of him. And then upon pressing that, he kind of told a confusing story that involved flying in an airplane and a couple of things. Like he was confused. Um, also, his dad probably had already confused him. So both boys would give out these little burps of information that they themselves probably didn't even fully understand. But then they would pull back in a way that seemed to me that they had very, and a lot of people, that they had been very obviously coached. So- they would say things like they had to keep the big secret and also say these really inflammatory things about their grandparents that there was no way they could have ever come up with themselves. They're clearly repeating things that Steve and Josh are saying. So as they got older, Josh, I'm sure, sensed that he wouldn't be able to micromanage their every word anymore and that he was going that they were going to slip and say something that would get him in trouble. The summer of 2010, that summer, about six months after Susan disappeared, Josh took his sons to a day camp at the YMCA, presumably because there were limited options for him if he wanted to get something done without his children in tow. While at the YMCA summer camp, this is from uh, the book, If I Can't Have You, Braden drew a picture of a car with figures inside, an image that left the woman who was supervising the art project breathless from what they saw or what they thought they saw in the little boy's drawing. Tell me about your picture, Brayden, one woman said, gently prodding him. That's us going camping, he said, looking down at the drawing. Another woman touched an index finger to a crude stick figure seated in the car. Who's that? She asked. That's daddy. He integrated the other figures in quick succession. That's Charlie and that's me. But that wasn't everybody he'd drawn. There was another figure there too. He pointed Mommy's in the trunk, he said. The woman stayed calm. They thought they understood the meaning of what Brayden was telling them, but they wanted to make sure. Why was she in the trunk, Brayden? Brayden looked a little confused for a moment. He didn't really have an answer. He stammered a little and stumbled over his words, trying to make sense of his recollections. He couldn't articulate why she was in the trunk, but he said they had stopped somewhere. Mommy and Daddy got out, he said, and Mommy never came back. So... Oh, my God. The women immediately contacted the police and yeah. told them this. And the cops said they couldn't do anything with that information. I, it's just they were just like they they they're like, that's awful, but we can't use that to do anything. I bet it was just like a couple cops that said that. But if you went to their supervisor, their supervisor would be like, actually, yeah, we can. I do wonder, you know, yeah. I do wonder if there was something at least at least I am at this point. And so much about this part of the story is about how his children should have not, he should not have that access to his children. No. Not at all. So 
The months drag on with limited movement. Not that there wasn't stuff happening behind the scenes. The case was continuously being worked on, but from the outside, it seemed like a standstill. And Chuck Cox was not having it, which I have mad respect for. Um, They went above and beyond to fight for their daughter, even though they shouldn't have had to. Chuck badgered the police all the time, and rightly so. He also basically stalked Josh and Steve at times, rightly so, to keep an eye on the boys from a distance. Remember, they all live in the same little town together. So even though they refused to let Chuck and Judy see their grandchildren, they would sometimes run into each other at Home Depot and shit. Uh Um, And in those moments, even in those moments, Josh refused to let the boys interact with their grandparents. But Chuck would always manage to shout that he loved them or blow a kiss or ruffle their hair before Josh whisked them away, which just like makes me want to cry. Yeah, how do you not just take them? (sighs) But then I guess the court would be like, Oh, now your engagement, you have to stay away 50 feet or right. something. Or, yeah, exactly. It would just prevent them even further from not seeing the kids, probably. I mean, did Josh have something going on with the cops? I don't think so. Because this is just too many red flags. Or or is it just such a patriarchal society where they live that they're like, obviously, the man just has the kids now and then she's gone and we'll, you know, she's just gone. Uh-oh. I think I think that some, maybe some of the patriarchal mentality probably leaks into the, the law enforcement side. And I also think the laws in place are not, they're not appropriate for these kind of cases. No. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. So 2010 turned into 2011. Not a whole lot changes. However, Chuck keeps pushing and staying in the public eye. Chuck and the police eventually arranged this thing called a honk and wave, which is what I think you were referring to earlier. A honk and wave is basically a thing that uh, police kind of try to help organize or sometimes families do it, where it's essentially just a group of people holding posters of a person and standing on a road and just waving at cars so that cars will just like literally look at the image of the person Mm -hmm. and keep that person being stimulated through the town. So, you know, that memory stays in their head. Maybe they thought they remembered seeing her somewhere or they have, you know, something like that. So, and also, um, they had a big campaign going where everybody had like purple ribbons because it was Susan's favorite color. So they, they put that together in the, um, August of 2011 and Steve Powell, and it was near where Steve lived. The cops did that intentionally Good. because they were hoping that Steve Powell would come out and make an asshole of, out of himself, which is did. what he did on camera. He did. So Steve has obviously a very hard time filtering himself. He kind of just says what he's thinking all the time. And they were hoping to catch something incriminating on camera. And they did. I'm going to play a little clip of it just so you can hear. It's really, it's awful. Like he's, Just here, I'll play it. 
Why, okay. come, why come here today? Why not? Well, I just came down here because we were going to get a picture of Chuck Cox. We believe he's in violation of a restraining order because Josh Josh shops at this store and he is not Here's supposed thing, to come. Would like That's to fine. I know, it, I know it doesn't mention Fred Meyer, but he knows we shop at Fred Meyer. He knows this is our neighborhood store. And that's so you why, own the neighborhood? No. We're okay. gonna, we'll, we'll have to you add this. Live, you guys live a few miles, Josh live, live a few miles apart from yeah, each other. Exactly. So, These so you people knew he was going to be here, and you came here yourself knowing that there's a restraining we just wanted, I wanted. To, we wanted to see if he was here because we wanted to be able to have something to say at the hearing on Tuesday. We're having a hearing Tuesday. We that's weren't right. going to bring this up with the media. He brought it up with the media. But okay? you came here. I did come here. Yes, I did. Because I wanted to see what was going on and I wanted and, to And I have one Chuck question for you. How okay. is you coming here helping to find Susan? It isn't helping to find Susan. How is your standing at our neighborhood market helping to find Susan, Chuck? People see the signs, her Bullshit. pictures out in the in the media. Right. It's been all over the media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If somebody yeah, has no. seen her, they, then they can yeah. report to the and police. And you're only going to do this. Which other stores are you doing this at, Chuck? We're doing it in West Valley City. Which other stores in Puyallup, other than our supermarket? This neighborhood up here is where we're doing it. I've only got a small group of. Are you I doing it at family. the store you shop at? I shop at this store. Are you doing it at Walmart down there? No, we. This is the corner. No, here. you're not. Okay, there. This I is rest a my case. This is They're a only doing it in here. the neighborhood so. where we live. They put this their is billboard not your right. They, they put the billboard that the, about Susan right outside of our neighborhood, right down here. They did their little flyer campaign in our neighborhood. They taped flyers yeah, right I to the post that. in front of my house. Why would the, you have a hard time, though, with getting her picture out? I, mean, I don't have a hard a time. Picture. We've actually talked about putting a picture of, you know, a page on our website called the 50 Faces of Susan Powell. There are, we got pictures of Susan that, that you know, that camera and I thought so, I could just sneak uh, a little so you shot. Thought, oh yeah, sneak a yeah. little shot. Yeah, sure. I did. And I got okay. it. Okay, this one. And uh, I guess we're here, You're right? You're not believable. Yeah, right, sir. Right, I'm not. You are, though. Anyway, is there any other question that I can answer for anybody? I'm, I'm totally open to anything. I mean, we've got a lot of information about the Cox family and about Susan, a lot of it from her journals, a lot of it from Josh's, you know, he lived with Susan for eight years before she left. He knows a lot that is not in the journals, but the journals confirm what he knows that Susan told him about her family, about her growing up years. Self-absorbed. He kept just being like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get out of here. Right. He, of he's, course her parents are going to be there. You want you watch the footage and Chuck Cox is so reserved in his... Um, he's standing right next to Steve Powell, who he knows at this point had a sexual obsession with his daughter. And he's so... I don't know how he withheld from just like ripping the man's eyes out. Like, I don't know how he did it. It, I, You know, if you want to call that part of like his faith, that's wonderful. It gave him a sense of grace that day that I don't think I could have managed mm -mm. with Steve Powell in his face. Oh my God. If he would have taken him out, if he would have punched him, oh my God, if he would have clocked him on camera, it would have been like the most fun thing to watch ever. It would have, but then the cops would be like, okay, so then the grandfather's violent. Right, for sure. Yeah. Even though the cops were definitely on Chuck's side, it's not a good look for anybody to do that in this instance because for whatever reason, the way the laws are set up, everything is in Josh's favor right now. So Steve essentially, like we just played, he says on video that he has Susan's childhood diaries. That the fact that he had those was enough to elicit a search warrant and and some other stuff. They basically had to build a case to in order to get a search warrant for Steve's house. That was very helpful. 
because he was withholding diaries of Susan's that could have been evidence. So he admitted that on camera. (laughs) And then that also at the same time, two of the most cringy interviews that you will ever bear witness to on August 26, 2011 on um, Good Morning America. You can go find those online as well. Josh and Steve Powell are interviewed and it is like, I'm, I don't say I didn't warn you. It, they're nasty. They're just, it's so weird. And so uh, like there's, they have no self-perception. And I just, I don't, I don't understand how, I don't, I don't want to know how their brains function, but I do not also comprehend what they think they're doing. But, you know, if you want to look at those. How a beautiful woman got mixed up with those two. Because she was young. That's yeah, exactly does, why. That's the only reason why. That's why they want them young. They want them young virgins. So then they can be a piece of shit. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that was enough evidence. Uh, that was enough to do the raid. They raid the home on August 26th when those interviews are coming out. And while they didn't find concrete evidence of Susan's murder, they find other things of Steve's. I'm not going to give you the full list, but... I am sorry in advance for what I'm about to say. Uh, They find Ziploc baggies of hair, women's undergarments, and hygiene products. So, yes, that means used tampons. Photos of Susan Powell, 15 desktop and laptop computers. Videotape of two minor females using the bathroom taken through an open window without their knowledge. Oh, that's enough to put them away. Um, And then some more uh, some books, uh, CDs, flash drives, video cassettes. uh, Yeah, um, notebooks, all of his journals. So yuck. What's going on here? And and you know what? Like no kink shame to anybody. If you want to go out and suck on a tampon, go to town. But do it with somebody who has given you the permission to do that. But he had... A lot of it was Susan's, but not all. He can he like kept women's like toenail clippings, hair, pubes, old pads and stuff. And he would like, I guess, masturbate to them. Um, That's weird. So there were also they they were able to retrieve lots and lots and lots of external hard drives, USB ports, documents, blah, blah, blah. In other words, it was like a treasure trove of a nightmare clown living inside a box made of screams. Yeah. Um, so can you, God, can you imagine the hellscape that Steve Powell's planet would be if he was able to get to his planet? And just use tampons and I, uh, screams of women. Yeah. Just calliope music playing and la, 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 la. Ooh, I don't think he would have ever been able to though, because he denounced the church. I don't really know what they're, rules say about yeah, that because he wasn't even like fully into the church he just did it for that sweet young puss That's yeah it. but he got married in the temple it's like a sacred thing so i don't really know where the laws the rules go with with that shit so there was so much stuff in there in fact that it took them another three weeks to actually get an arrest warrant for steve powell it seems to me his possessing actual child pornography would have been enough immediately but what do i know Regardless, and the kids still kill. Are yeah. we allowed to stay with him? So after they found that, the kids were there for another three weeks afterwards. Oh my God! There's porn. There's child porn. There's man in a diaper walking around there's the house. Porn of their mother. Their mother. That was like not of her knowing. <sighs> Steve would take nude women's bodies and Photoshop Susan's head onto them, and those were there as well. And so, for whatever reason, three weeks later. Instead of the day that they found it, 
they get an arrest warrant for Steven. So he's eventually charged with 14 counts of voyeurism and possession of the aforementioned video. The family that was living next door, by the way, had been moved by then. So thank God for that. The kids were gone at that point. It wasn't the arrest the Coxes were hoping for, of course, but it meant something else wonderful. The boys were being removed from the house and Josh was losing custody of the kids because he was living with Steve when this happened. Something. Yes. Get him away. So it was a really joyful moment for them. They were able to, through the, you know, the court process, get temporary custody of the boys. So Chuck and Judy were able to get the kids, which was just like the best thing in the world to them. But it wasn't without, you know, some suffering involved. These boys had been living with actual monsters for a year plus. They were practically feral and of course, experiencing deep trauma from everything that they had gone through with absolutely no form of counseling. So Jennifer, Chuck, and Judy all came together to provide care for the boys, but they were going through so much. They, they were, it was great for the kids, obviously. And, but they, they were so young that they kind of forgot what like a loving family was. I bet they acted out. Like hit themselves, hit they, other people. They got violent with each other. They yeah. um, they found one of them almost drowning the other one at one yeah. point. Because you have all of this screaming. emotion inside yes. of you and you don't know what to do. And, and it's almost, I don't want to say worse, returning to normalcy. Because when you do return to normalcy, you're like, oh, what I just went through was not only bad, but really, really bad. And yes. I don't trust the system. Who can I trust anymore? I'm yeah. going to go drown my little brother. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what I think what was happening probably. But then they found other things like, uh, for one, the boys couldn't keep their pajamas on at night. And after some prodding by Chuck and Judy to the kids, it was revealed that Josh had the boys sleep naked with him in the same bed. But don't worry, Josh is still granted supervised visits during this time. Why? This was in part due to Terry did you think she, Terry had disappeared, Josh's mom? No. She, in fact, advocated for Josh and wrote a letter saying he was a great father. Why? I don't know. But she did. She wrote a, son for a letter for her son. Be like, he, but he's a nice boy. What is this school? What is this primary she, he school? He tried to stab her when he was a kid. And she wrote this letter saying. I guess the mother's love for your child, it endures. Uh, I guess maybe to a level uh, that. He, she doesn't care what happens to her grandkids. So, okay. The sticking point I'm trying to make here, Chuck and Judy have been fighting to fix this in court and also uh, filed some lawsuits against CPS and stuff for all of this. Yeah. Part of it was that some of these services are not talking to each other and they are missing important information to give to each other. But there's a lot of problems. Josh was able during this time to have multiple supervised visits in his own home. This is not to point the finger at Washington Department of Social and Health Services, nor is it to point the finger at the West Valley Police. It is more than anything for me to point out that, or for, you know, it's not, I'm not the first person, but there was a distinct lack of communication between the two departments and the people within. And probably again, like some laws are probably poorly set up or not even in place, but with the amount of circumstantial evidence, there is not a single reason Josh should have been granted supervised visits in his own home. None. There are zero excuses for that. 
if he was granted them that at all, it should have been somewhere that was where he wasn't in full control, like in, um, you know, like a social services place somewhere, somewhere public even. Yeah. Not in his own house. So where there was like childhood pornography. Well, Josh, sorry, at this point, I I should I jumped ahead a little bit. Josh, because the house was being raided by police and Steve had been arrested, Josh rented a little house nearby. Yes. So he was out of porn house, but he was in his own little abode alone. And that was where he was granted supervised visits. There was red flag after red flag, but the system was not set up to deal with somebody like Josh. But I guess, again, it's like 9-11. Like you would never expect what he's going to do. Yeah. No, I I agree. But ultimately, this was a man who was under suspicion of murdering his wife. Like it wasn't like he was this innocent guy who you could never have seen it coming. Yeah. And it's not this woman's fault. She's a social worker. She was doing her job. She doesn't know, know no. them. It's this, I, I think personally, it's the system around it that's yeah. failing. And she, you know, she was an elderly woman who didn't have any sort of physical training. The most she could do in an emergency would be to observe and call 911 if something went wrong. Which is unfortunately what happened. And they were just dismissive of her. Well, we'll get to that in a sec. Um, During that period, Josh was really fighting to go through the necessary hoops to get his kids back, which I wish was not even an option to him. And the Coxes and pretty much everyone else was trying to prevent that from happening. The police were still going through Josh and C's insane amount of computers and files in early 2012. And they discovered that they had found some images displaying cartoon versions of pedophilic imagery on one of Josh's laptops. I'm not going to describe these images. If you want to know what they were, you can read if I can't have you the book that I, one of the books I reference. This discovery is just what they needed to keep Josh away from his kids. Sexual deviant expert, Dr. James Manley recommended that Josh undergo psychosexual evaluation from these findings. This seems to be, so like basically at this point, all of the other like porn stuff had been Steve's possessions. This is something they found on Josh's laptop and it was cartoon. So it wasn't technically enough to put him in jail, but it was enough to go. I don't know if he should be supervising his children. And so they wanted to put him under evaluations with something called a Peter meter. This blew my mind. I, I, I am not a doctor. It seems to me like this is something out of Victorian, like, a lot of sciences. Yeah. Yeah. Like basically they strap a meter to your dick and then show you pictures of different things to see if you get a boner. Yeah. I've heard of this. Yeah. 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 I cannot believe that that is, that either sounds like, like they old do. age medicine mm-hmm. doctoring or like some dystopian, like clockwork orange futuristic shit. That's nasty. Does yeah. that actually work? I think they do it in gay conversion therapy. Yes. To me, that seems really fucked up. Yeah, that's all that's a whole other level of fucked up. But just just strap a thing to you and see what you're attracted to. Like that's so weird to me. Cuz sometimes I'll just be looking at something and I'm not sexually attracted to it, For but my sure. body's just like wet now. Like I'll just be looking at a, you know, a hat laying on the ground. Yeah. Like, Oh, the Knicks and like my pussy's wet. Exactly. It's same with don't do it get just get random boners because of whatever just things. Yeah. You rubbed your penis against a, your cloth or it's such a weird concept to me, but that's what they wanted to do to him. All right. This is in 2012. Yes. Yep. So, you know, very recently in time, but 
when Josh heard this, this seems to be the point where Josh Powell just finally let go the last threads of his sanity. And he just, he made a choice. Yeah. So during this time, after the psychosexual evaluation news, he is still permitted supervised visits with his children in his home. Still, after they found the child cartoon sex stuff. So this leading us up to the February 4th, 2012. In the book, If I Can't Have You, Josh Powell was just another single father doing errands on Sunday, February 4th, 2012 the day before Super Bowl Sunday. Only Josh wasn't shopping for beer or soda or Doritos. Instead, he had a checklist of errands that would culminate in a surprise he had planned for Charlie the following, and Charlie and Brayden the following day. At 11.19 a.m., he went to Bank of America at 175th Street in Meridian and withdrew $7,000, leaving 45 in his account. The bank security camera captured a haggard-looking Josh but he had looked like that for a long time. The teller didn't ask him why he was withdrawing that much money, which I don't know why they would. Why they um, would? I think they ask usually if you withdraw a certain amount, they're like, and why do you, why, what you going to do with that? Even though like I would be mad if I was withdrawing that, I'd be like, whatever the fuck I want. Oh, do you think they're like supposed to ask? Yeah, they usually ask why. I mean, you don't have to tell them. There's a lot of things in this world where you don't have to give up the information. Right. It's just that if you, you're willing to give it up, they'll take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I was like walking into the studio one day and this guy with a um with a shirt on that was like a authority figure kind of shirt. And he said, who are you going to go see in there? And I was like, none of your business. Yeah. You just wanted to ask who I'm going to go see. I was like, I don't know you. Yeah, for sure. Fuck that. Fuck that dude. Yeah. So yeah, people will give up information. Yeah. So apparently the teller didn't ask him why he was withdrawing that money, but he called a bank manager over to approve the transaction. Josh also visited his storage unit, number 141 at Western Self Storage in Sumner, a few miles from Pallup. Pialup, I'm sorry. He packed some toys and books into a plastic bin, but left the other items, including a comforter with blood-like stains. Next, he returned to Pialup in the South Hill Fred Meyer parking lot, which I believe is a grocery store, the location of the honk and wave that made national news where his father and Chuck Cox got into it over Susan's disappearance. He dropped off the toys and books at a Salvation Army donation center. One of the books had his name in it and said Testament on the cover. Other books were gifts to Susan from friends. The local recycling center was the next stop. Josh arrived there in the afternoon and left a hymnal, a book on calculus, and a map of Utah. A book titled Footprints was inscribed and dated May 31st, 2000. Just before arriving, then it it becomes... That's what happens on February 4th. The next day early, just before his boys were scheduled to arrive for a visit, Josh sent a series of emails. Messages went to his boss at the software company that employed him, his attorney, his cousin in Texas, and finally to his friend, Pastor Tim Atkins. The emails were short and each carried the same message. I'm sorry. Goodbye. On the morning of February 5th, 2012, The social worker arrived with the boys to Josh's house at around noon. She approached the door. The boys ran ahead of her towards their dad, who stood in the doorway. Before she knew what was happening, Josh had slammed the door with the boys inside. She panicked and tried knocking before eventually calling 911. It was too late. It would have taken brute strength to overpower Josh at this point. He had obviously made a decision, and there was no talking him out of it. 
The details are graphic. Um, I'm not going to go too much into it. Just know that he had doused the house in gasoline and there was also an ax involved. Um, the house became engulfed in flames almost immediately. All three were pronounced dead at the scene. So the boys... Um, Ooh, that's rough. Yeah, the boys died with Josh that day. He very clearly had premeditated it and planned it out. Um, he had also changed his life insurance policy to go to his brother um, very shortly before this. Oh, look at that. Look at how that goes. So... The brother with a diaper? No. Uh, this is his brother, Mike, which we're not even going to talk too much about. But here, so the family doesn't stop destroying lives here, however... So that life insurance policy that he had transferred to his brother, Mike, there was also a couple other life insurance policies he had on the family. Um, Alina, Terry, and Mike began to fight to get that money instead of it going to the Coxes. So they were trying to fight in court in the aftermath of all of this, that they should have the money from their family member uh, killing his whole family. So gross. Um, then on February 11th, 2013, which is um, pretty much close to a year after uh, Josh murdered his sons, Mike Powell, his brother, jumped off the roof of a seven-story parking garage in Minneapolis. He died on impact. They were still embroiled in this court case, but it speculated that it wasn't because of that alone. The police were closing in on Mike who was a retired veteran, a current graduate student, and the baby brother of Josh. Mike could have his own hour-long discussion. Um, suffice it to say, you can read all about him everywhere. The Cold Podcast, like I mentioned, um, the Oxygen documentary, which I have mixed feelings on, and uh, I'll, there's there's a lot of sources, uh, these two books as well. Um, but it's very, very likely he had hands-on first-person um, interaction with the whatever Josh did and the aftermath of it. Yeah. I so, mean, if he was the one that got the money, it's probably for a reason. Yes, exactly. And the cops were were finding a lot of evidence to be able to maybe convict him. So he committed suicide like what the coward that he is. Yeah. Steve Powell was released from prison for all the perv charges first in March of 2014. But then in the fall of 2014, the state of Washington reinstated pornography charges against him and, and was he awaited trial for a little bit. And he had the potential to be sentenced to five years in prison. He was also ordered to serve time in jail for refusing court-ordered sex offender treatment. I don't know how you can re refuse that, but... Yeah, it seems like that's the kind of a mandatory thing. I mean, if it's mandatory for like me to go pick up trash on the side of the road... Right. For, for community service... Yeah. I mean, I guess that's what they do is if you say no, they just put you back in jail, which I guess is the right call. But um, he ended up serving a little bit longer and he was just a few years, unfortunately. Um, and he was released on July 11th, 2017. I call complete bullshit on that. Um, he's clearly a dangerous person. Um, it would have been perfectly content with him sitting and staring at a wall for another 30 years, but Equally as great and merciful, he had a massive heart attack a year later and died very shortly after on July 23rd. And I hope he was scared and alone at the end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I hope that nobody was there with him. 
Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One. Because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. So the family basically started, you know, it fell in on itself. Um, I don't know where John is now. I couldn't find anything on where he is, but I know last that I heard uh, Alina was living with her mother, Terry. Mm-hmm. They're the last surviving ones, the last surviving people who would potentially have any information and they just still will not. Just two angry women living together. Yeah. Alina, I think I mentioned before, I think the best thing they did on the oxygen dock was got Alina to sit down and she still just holds her father in this prison that he created for her, like of adoration. And she still kind of blames Susan for everything. It's just, it's really pitiful to watch. I know some people like that who've, um, they were molested by their father, the the patriarch, and yeah. he was a very patriarch kind of guy. And um, as they got older, and uh, even like my age or older, the women all like kind of hold him in high regards. Yeah. Their father, even though he molested them, sexually assaulted them. Yeah. But it's, and I was kind of talking to them about it. And um, it's this weird mixed feeling of, he's my father, he's a monster, but um, I still... They're like, I don't know how to feel. I respect him, but I also don't, I also don't love him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. God, that's, that sounds, that's very traditional patriarchy stuff. And, um, cause it's also like, uh, again, with the unknown to just abandon and hate all family and then move into the unknown. Right. That could be terrifying. Yeah. And that, and sexual abuse also just, it doesn't just affect you physically. It, it, no matter what, you can't prevent it from causing psychological problems. Like yeah. you just, it is, it's like one of the worst acts a human can put onto another person. Um, so I'm so glad that Steve is gone out of this world. So in the aftermath of all this, there is still, you know, hope that someday there will be some way we can find at least what happened to Susan. There's been a lot of different search and rescue missions. Um, initially, you know, search and rescue at the beginning, and then eventually it became, they assumed kind of more was going to be a body. 
I'm not even going to try to pretend to hold hope that she's alive somewhere. I don't think that's true, but we don't know. But bones um, last a long time. But yes. Yeah, so there's essentially when I was talking about Josh saying how he would be able, he would always talk about how, how he would do a crime and get away with it. So people had witnessed him saying, if it was me, have you ever been out to the West Desert? There's mines everywhere. Nobody's going to find anything out there. And so the things like that led people to probably assume he he did something with her and, and put her in a mine. Yeah, just put but, her in those Indiana Jones carts and just push it. Yeah, but, yeah, right. They do find bodies all the time around the mines. There yeah. were several that they found during the interim um, that they had hopes were her, like the police would tell Chuck and Judy, we found somebody who might be her. Nope, and then it never else. was somebody, somebody else. else. But uh, there has been so much that just, again, I can't express enough how incredible Dave Cowley's reporting was because Dave Cowley, I'm sorry, is how you say it, uh, from the Cold Podcast, because he really helped turn some corners on this case. Not that it would bring her back, but there's also, he was able to, along with some police um, work, they were able to figure out that he had traveled to all these different dumpsters later on. There's there's a lot mm. of proof to suggest that this was a, a weeks-long process of yeah. dealing with the situation. Imagine being a father and like just finding even the deceased body of your daughter, just even the bones or the teeth, something. That's And that's one of the uh, the... The other things that Josh would never have even given a shit about, like giving them any sense of peace, because it's most likely her body's been spread um, over a long course of time. A lot, there's a lot of time in when he's being tracked, Josh being tracked later on, we realized he was at dumpsters for a certain amount of time and really? doing these really weird trips. Because he had that welder. Yeah. Um, so, and Mike also was involved. His car was, um, he basically had his car impounded right after the incident and then they found it. That's essentially, the walls were closing in on Mike at the end of the day, but they still have not been able to locate any part of her body. They've also, they've gone through um, the dump sites that they thought maybe she was, they couldn't find her. Mm. But another really weird kicker at the end of this story is Dave Cowley ended up being able to find out that the cartoon porn that was on Josh's laptop wasn't his. They were able to track the metadata. It was a used laptop and it came from the owner who previously owned the laptop. So not that there's anybody to be blamed for that, yeah. but it's really fascinating that the thing that like was his last straw was this thing that, that was like the only thing he wasn't actually guilty of. So if he hadn't have gotten that laptop... From somebody right. else with a cartoon porn. Right. He might have he might have still been living. Who, who knows, you know? Because then the cops wouldn't have been like, okay, take the kids away. Yeah. He would have still had those kids and ruined their lives. I know. God knows what would have happened. You know, it, so many different, it could have gone so many ways. And it's just such a weird set of circumstances. Weird. It's a whole house and a dynasty based on hate. And uh, when you do that, you know, maybe they did get away with it for a while, but it will crumble. It always will. And you're going to end up jumping over an eight story building. 
or yeah. killing your whole family. Yep. It's just never going to work out for you. It doesn't go away for sure. Yeah. So now it's Chuck and Judy. They still fight. They've been to, I mean, till just, they still update. If you want to um, go look at what Chuck and Judy are up to, uh, go to susancoxpowellfoundation.net. They keep a blog updated of their dealings in the court. They've been dealing with the, uh, basically the way that the case was mishandled and the fact that Josh was had access to his kids. And so they're trying to to deal with that in court and hopefully get some things changed so that somebody that is like Josh doesn't have unfettered access to his children. Yeah, change um, the laws. And also if you are hearing this podcast and you are seeing some of these red flags from some of your friends, you can step in. Yeah. And you can, even if it's not you, if it's somebody else, you can always reach out to the U.S. National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can also go to thehotline.org or text love is all one word in capitals, to 22522. It's, sometimes it's really hard for the people going through it to even access websites or anything like that. So they provide resources too. If you know somebody, they give you some advice and they can offer some help to you if you need to report somebody else's situation. And that's who I think we're going to be donating to this week because it's the most nationally based. I was looking at different local ones, um, but I really, the National Domestic Violence Hotline kind of can get you to the local ones. So I, I think for, for this purpose, we'll, we'll donate to that, this series. And if you want to donate to Susan Cox Powell Foundation, they also take donations. Chuck and Judy are incredible people. I just, I, I know that other people within the church are a part of it and I'm not clear if the church takes any of the money. So, you know, you make, you, you decide. Uh, and then if you would care to donate, that is, of course, if you're in a, in a situation where you feel maybe you're a little bit like Susan and your family might love you a lot, but they don't know really how to get yourself out of the situation, um, there are different places who can really assist you and give you a place to go that's safe, even if temporarily with your children as well. So um, please just know that you deserve better than that and you are worth more than that. And it will never be, you can't fix somebody who's like that. You have to take care of yourself. Yeah. And also when you're courting with somebody uh, and always think to yourself, do I like them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a really great point, Amber. If you are, if you're in a courting situation, if you're in like a more um, conservative uh, idea of like marriage where, you know, you're not a bad person, but I do think you really need to take a look into beyond whether or not they're adhering to your religion, if they're godly, it doesn't necessarily mean they're safe. It doesn't. You have to really look at them and look at yourself and say, do I like this person too? Yeah. I, I think that's really smart. Uh, it's not just whether they like you or not. So that was a really rough one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just kind of like sitting. I'm also on my menstrual cycle right now. So oh it's just like my bowels are like Gurgly, yeah, gurgling, like flipping over and over, it's sort of like rage and depression at the same time. I don't know if it's possible just to be tired and wanting to kill. Oh yeah, I think they sometimes <laughs> those go right hand in hand. Yeah. But then the the benefit is you're too tired to lift your arm with a yeah. knife. You know, y'all wouldn't even know what's gonna happen if I had energy. Yep. Um, <laughs> so I know this was this sucked, but I do think it's really important to talk about it and. 
we will we will hear some of these same patterns happening again and again on the show, unfortunately. Um, but we, uh, you know, we, let's all keep Susan in our thoughts and her kid, her her little boys, Charlie and Brayden. And if the Mormons are correct, there maybe maybe they're somewhere together in in the um, afterlife. I, maybe maybe they are, and and I hope I hope they are. That's yeah. great. And um, we're, we'll catch you next time. Maybe it won't be quite as terrible as this one. It wasn't, this wasn't at least Dear Zachary. I think that might be the worst of all these stories. Yeah, really bad. But yeah, anyway, um, thank you guys for tuning in. I'm Natalie Jean. You follow me at The Natty Jean. And you can follow the show at Someplace Underneath. Amber? Amber Smelson, S-M-E-L-S-O-N, on Instagram, Twitter, all of the platforms, and um, also Twitch. Yeah. We love you. We love you guys. Be safe out there, okay? This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25.